Hey there folks, Alex Lokes here, Classic Camera Revival, and welcome to our seventh season. I never thought we would make it this far, but here we are on the lead up to our 100th episode. Before I turn it over to Bill and Chrissy for an absolutely incredible episode today, I wanted to talk to you about our 100th episode that will be taking place in March. And we want your help. We need you to record a short review three to five minutes about your favorite camera or your very first film camera and send it in to classic camera revival at gmail.com um try and make it in mp3 format but if you make it in wave format don't worry about it record it on your phone it doesn't have to be high quality we just want to hear from you our listeners the good news is we already have one review sent in and I am definitely hoping for more so that we can include that in our episode. Also, if you have a recommendation of a camera that you would like us to talk about, by all means, send that in as well. You can contact us through Facebook, through Twitter, and through email. Although Facebook is probably the easiest and fastest way to get a hold of the team, and we will do our best to get that in. But without further ado... Let's welcome Danielle to Classic Camera Revival. John, roll the intro. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Hi everyone, it's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival, and I have with me today... Hi, I'm Chrissy. How's it going? And today we got a special guest, and if you're a huge user of Instagram and you follow the analog photography community on there, you might be familiar with Danielle Robelski's Instagram handle, Girl with Too Many Cameras. And I just want to give a warm welcome to Danielle and welcome to the Classic Camera Revival. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Ah, welcome. Thank you for being here. So um, this is our first episode of the season. And again, we're sort of like sort of highlighting interesting analog photographers out there and sort of to shake things up a little bit. And only you're a photographer, you're also a camera collector too. Mm -hmm. So um, that sort of ugly open-ended question they usually ask in job interviews. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, I'm Danielle Robleski. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And um, I daylight as an HR professional, um, but my, my real passions are um, in the arts. My kind of main artistic medium is with film photography. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so what got you into film photography as, a, as your main choice of medium? Was it something that uh, happened early on, like when you were a teenager or you stumbled across it much more recently? Yeah, I came across it much more recently. I really kind of tripped into film photography completely by accident. Um, I did, technically, I grew up shooting film. You know, I was born in the late 80s, so that was the only <laughs> option for taking pictures for basically most of my childhood, but um, really wasn't into film at a younger age, like seriously beyond just taking snapshots. And then um, in my adult years here, I about three years ago, I was just at a thrift store um, checking out what they have. I really love thrifting. And they had a beautiful Canon AE1 um, 
in just absolutely pristine condition. The thing looked like it had never been used. Um, and of course, at the time, I didn't know what a Canon AE-1 was because I didn't really know anything about photography, but I I could tell that it was a very beautiful camera and I kind of just instantly fell in love. It was $10. And in the moment, I just thought, hey, this this looks really cool. I, you know, I haven't shot film forever since I was a kid, but why not grab a $10 camera, try to find some rolls of film and just have some fun and um, now, three years late, later, I have about 40 cameras, and it's kind of my main passion. All right on. Actually, you got yourself a real deal getting that AU1 for $10. I was going to say, kind of AU1 for $10. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the moment, like I said, I didn't know any, like, you know, I recognized the name Canon as the brand, but I didn't know anything about what an AU1 was, and um, I just thought, well, this looks like a beautiful camera. Why not spend $10 on it? And then I got home and quickly started Googling it. And I realized like, man, I really hit the jackpot here. This seems to be the hot camera that everybody wants. <laughs> oh, they've only gotten, they've gotten silly expensive. Like uh, I think I was at my local camera store recently and they're about, I think with a 518 lens now about 170 US. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, you can get an A1 for cheaper than that. Oh, I know. Or an <laughs> FTB. Like, I love FTBs. They're built like trucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you shoot primarily 35 millimeter or do you, have you branched out into other formats as well? Yeah. For the, for a, a long time, I was primarily 35 millimeter. I'd say for like the first year and a half, I was mm-hmm. my shooting adventure so far. I was 35 millimeter. And then um, I was really itching to do medium format and as I'm sure everybody will say, I saw the Vivian Mayer uh, documentary on mm-hmm. Netflix and I kind of quickly came, became fascinated by TLR, TLRs. So um, I actually got really lucky. Again, I found somebody who lives like li- within my neighborhood in Milwaukee who was selling a Yashica D um, and they were willing to give it to me for $75. They had just recently got it tuned up. It was in perfect condition. Um, so that was my entry into medium format. And so now I'd say I, this summer, I also recently acquired a Bronica ETR. So now I, I am doing a lot more medium format now. Mm. And he probably, my, yeah, she could do for $70, like, maybe should have you sourcing cameras for me. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, so far in our conversation, I got to go thrifting with Danielle and I got to be like in her neighborhood. Apparently this is. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like around here. It's, it feels like everything's sort of been picked clean. Um, so have you been, uh, so how long have you been sort of. Um, so again, you've been seriously shooting for three years. Your audience, mm-hmm. you have a massive following on Instagram. I love your work. And again, most of it's in color. If you shoot a lot of color. Uh, what would be the the film stock that you like going with when you're out exploring? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really a Kodak girl at heart. Um, I also haven't done too much exploration with uh, film stock, so I should probably be better at that. But um, kind of the film stock I've been loving the most is actually Portra 160, which. I don't think probably gets as much love as it deserves. I, I, I do really like Portra 400, but sometimes even with Portra 400, the grain gets to be a little much for me. So I, I really love Portra 160. It's so sharp. It's so clean. And the colors are just beautiful. Yeah, actually, one, Portra 160 is one of those underrated uh, 
film stocks. I'm more of an Ektar 100 guy because I like that mm. little bit of punch. And it has in some way, depending on how you scan it, you scan it just right, it almost looks like Kodachrome. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to shoot Kodachrome when I was younger. I regret not shooting more because it was expensive. Yeah, I, it's like one of those, what could have been, should have been, but yeah, you know, that's how it is. And one thing, and one of the reasons why Paul, uh, a mutual, and again, the film photography community is oddly enough, like almost a small village. Uh, our, it really is. Yeah, Alyssa from exactly. Allie's Vintage Camera, Allie said. Oh, I love Allie. Yeah, we had her on last year and we've, uh, she said, she started telling, yeah, bring Danielle on. One thing that you have started to champion and the one thing that sort of got me interested and Chrissy's on here as well. Like, again, I feel like I'm the one carrying the conversation here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Chris, it's been you, a while. It's been a while. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're, you're a little rusty. <laughs> I'm a little rusty. Okay. So Chrissy's stalking in the corner. <laughs> You've taken the, the lead or the, because the one thing, and it's a conversation I remember, I think about a year and a half or two years ago, Sherry Christensen uh, from Western Canada sort of noticed, why aren't there more women, uh, women film photographers out there, or at least visible? Uh, and you sort of, I remember a conversation around that sort of perked up a bit in the negative positives uh, film community on uh, Facebook and just sort of petered out from there. But then it's like you really took that and saying, hey, there's not enough representation. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not maybe women film photographers are just a little more below the radar than the rest of us, or I don't know. And again, it's like you're doing important work. I just sort of wondered of what work can we go from this and how we can make it a more welcoming community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think right now when there is such an imbalance um, in who is being represented online, um, I think we all need to just be very deliberate with who we're following and who we're supporting. Um, you know, I, I, for my recent post, you know, I've highlighted that there are quite a few women, you know, in this community who are very, very talented, just as talented as uh, the men who uh, get recognized pretty frequently. And so I think, and I, you know, I can be guilty of it of myself too. I do like to do uh, spotlights in my stories on Instagram. And I know there's been times where I've gone back through my stories and I'm like, oh, this is almost all men I've <laughs> shouted out in my stories. It's being deliberate, making sure that we are, you know, being intentional with who we're featuring and who we're representing. Um, I also really do believe that women need to be in all places where decisions are being made. And when you have so many feature accounts that are largely run by men, um, it's, it's of no surprise to me that women then frequently get left out of those feature accounts um, with who they're spotlighting. So mm-hmm. I, I would like to see uh, feature accounts bringing in more women to help run them. Um, we add diversity to the decisions that are being made. And I, I think that would be a, a real big step forward um, to helping address the issue with our representation online. Yeah, I agree. And again, it's one of those sort of comments, like we, I could have been a few groups, like one, two that uh, I'm sort of involved with heavily is Canon film photography, even though I'm a Nikon nerd at heart. 
And of course, I'm a co-admin of the Toronto Film Shooters. And we, uh, I guess, unlike a lot of other groups where things can become a, it can come become a toxic cesspool in short order. Uh, we laid out the rules very early on. A, this is not a democracy. <laughs> Two, these are the rules. You will follow them. You don't follow them, out you go. We mm -hmm. don't care. And we're ruthless about enforcing them. And I think a lot of groups tend not to do that. So again, a lot of stuff festers and we all know what happens next. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame because uh, I know a few um, in the Toronto film shooters, there are a few women photographers that are really brilliant, like Melissa and Ashibi, who uh, works in the film industry. She trades under the uh, Instagram ha handle Fragile Muse. Her work is amazing. But we just never see her out at any of the, the outings because she and her boyfriend are out exploring abandoned places because she's into photography too. And when they're not in the film industry, they're out camping. So we hardly mm -hmm. see them. But it's like, I know a bunch of other guys in the group went, where is Melissa? We just want to hang with her and find out, you know, talk shop. And, you know, it just is what it is. Uh but I'm finding it's just sort of attracting people to contribute, which is sort of like, you know, and again, being a male photographer of a certain age, front end Gen Xer. So I'm not going to say how old I exactly I am, but I'm saying it's sometimes it's like pulling teeth. It's like, please come out, <laughs> come on, <laughs> contribute. One thing I kind of noticed too, is that just like from I saw like the first like sort of, for lack of a better phrase, I'm going to call it a shout out. Like, Danielle, when you posted on Instagram, when you were saying, hey, we're all the female film shooters, mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. That kind of like, like turned a switch in my brain. It's like, hey, wait a minute. There aren't, there isn't a lot out there. And then when you started saying like, you know, like show me some of the people that you like, I started like looking through it. Like, I, it kind of opened my eyes. It's like, oh my goodness, there's just so much like talent that's out there that I just never even realized because mm -hmm. we all kind of follow the same sort of people like I'm pr primarily like a Polaroid shooter and the Polaroid shooting community is also like a small and mighty community so like we're mm -hmm. like all there as well but just opening my eyes just to like all these like different talents and like you said like representation is like super important and just like being able to see or see like different perspectives from different like people 100% was like very eye-opening so Mm -hmm. So I say thank you for starting that uh, Women Film Wednesdays um, series. That's that it was, I think it's amazing. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm so excited. Um, I've done two so far of the Women with Film Wednesday series, and um, when I first started, when when I came up with the idea to do Women with Film Wednesdays, the the idea came from wanting this to stay part of the regular conversation. When I first started posting stories about this and people were responding really well to them. I was a little bit worried that it was going to be one of those things where it's kind of a flash in a pan. Like people talk about this a bunch for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, and then it's just going to die away and people are going to forget that this is something we need to actively focus on. So I thought, Sorry. well, um, I want to come up with some way that I can keep this a part of the conversation every week. So women with film Wednesday came to me and um, I've I've really been overwhelmed with the amount of support that have come out so far, which is the two Wednesdays that have happened since I started doing it. And just how many other people are jumping in and wanting to participate and do their own Women With Film Wednesday posts and stories. That's like absolutely what I was hoping would happen. Um, I'm surprised it's 
people have jumped onto it so quickly. Um, and I'm very happy um, that, that people have. Okay. Well, um, I think the next question is where do we take this over the long haul? Because it's, again, this is sort of like a, a 2020 moment, but unfortunately, uh, our society has a collective attention span of a goldfish uh, <laughs> the way things go. <laughs> yeah. So how do we keep this top of mind and how to make women feel more comfortable within the community? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, hopefully like my women with film Wednesday series, I, I, I re- I'm really hoping that people just more and more people will jump in and do that on a regular basis. So hopefully that will just kind of keep this moving forward. I think it's having that repetition, you know, people say, you know, to build a habit, you have to make it a repetition that you do over and over again. So Mm. I'm hoping that um, will, will help. I would really love to see us get to the point where we don't actively have to focus on making sure women are included. I'd, I'd like to see us get to the point where it's just, natural we're just included we're just included yeah. we're not yeah. having to put that's like intentional really you know? <laughs> yeah that's what i would really love to see happen and i and since i've really started talking out about this uh one of the criticisms i've i've heard many times from people is well we should be focusing on art not gender i, I don't want to promote somebody just because they're a woman i want to focus on art and I think, you know, an ideal world, yes, we shouldn't have to focus so hard on gender. We that that should be an ideal. Like someday we should get to the place where we can just focus on art and everybody, every gender is just naturally included and represented. But that's not where we are right now. And so right now we do have to um be very deliberate with including women so we can eventually get to that ideal place. And then in terms of Danielle, that's the hope and the dream. (laughs) That's exactly. And then to the question of how to make women feel comfortable, um, you know, I, I guess I, I definitely don't speak for every woman. Um, I don't know if it's more so that I haven't felt comfortable in the community um, with the the people that I've connected with. I I I feel very comfortable with uh, almost everybody. Um, it's more so just feeling like you're maybe a little bit invisible, like mm-hmm. your gender is invisible. I will say, uh, I know, Bill, you mentioned being part of the, the Toronto group and being firm in the in the rules that you guys put forward and um, wanting women to join. Um, I think I have had it happen before, just in terms of being comfortable as a woman. I have had it happen before where I go to photo meetups or photo walks and I am the only girl and none of the men will talk to me. I, I have actually had that happen where all the guys will be standing in a group chit chatting with each other, showing off their gear to each other. And I'll be trying to like contribute to the conversation and they just keep shutting me out. And it feels and that, that is, those are the moments where I do feel very uncomfortable as a woman in the community. Cause it's like, I, I'm here. I want to participate. You, Mm. you guys even invited me to this. (laughs) Now you don't want to include me in the conversation. So I think, you know, when you when people do have more of those physical meetups or physical gets together, you know, make sure that you're welcoming everybody. If, if there are women who are coming in to make them feel comfortable, you, you need to be warm and welcoming to them like you are with everybody else in the group. Oh, I think that just goes without saying. I think the last in-person meetup we had with the Toronto Film Shooters was back at the end of February. Feels like a million years ago. And we actually had a bunch bu- I shouldn't say there have been meetups where we've had no women show up and it's really just like 
Oh, a bunch of guys meeting up. Okay, that's nice. But it would, you know, to get a, a bit more of a gender mix up would it be nice just to sort of bring some diversity of viewpoints to the conversation. But a bunch of women did actually show up, which was great because it was just like, yay. And it was like some people that some of them were kind of like, we got like maybe 500 members of the Toronto group. And it's like maybe it's like maybe 35, 40 people who regularly sort of contribute and post stuff. And a lot, the rest just lurk. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I am a lurker for the most part on the Toronto <laughs> film shooter site. I'm a lurker on, in a lot of senses, but not in a super creepy way, but kind of like to your point that you were speaking earlier, Danielle, just about like, um, you know, like we shouldn't be focusing on, on gender and we should be focusing on the art. I agree to like a point, like that conversation. I feel like Instagram, some of the the fun things about Instagram is that because it's all kind of online, not kind of, it is all online, that you are able to kind of hide behind like whatever shield or whatever screen that you have. So like, yeah, you can, you do have that ability to focus more on the art, but mm-hmm. I also believe that, and I was having conversations with some of my other friends about this too, that if you're like, like if you identify as female or if you're like a person of color or if you're a part of the, the queer community or any of these things, these all bring different viewpoints to like what like your art kind of is. So mm-hmm. just being able to be able to like kind of like in a sense showcase that or just being able to be like, okay, this is just like a different viewpoint. I think that in itself is just being able to to show that representation is like super important. So like, yeah, I agree that you have to, we should be focusing on the art, but I, I do think that being able to say like, hey, this is like the art, which is beautiful. This is also a person that was female. This is also a person of a color or whatever, like uh, whatever tickles your fancy or whatever, then that's also just kind of important because they all kind of intermingle in a sense. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. cohesive or not, but I think it all kind of just like brings a different viewpoint. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's, that's the whole point. The whole strength of diversity is that everybody comes from different backgrounds. They have different life experiences. And so they're going to bring different ideas and different artistic merits to the table. And that's the whole point of why you want diversity represented in the community. Because when you have all these different ideas being shared, you are stronger for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's just sort of comes down to also, like, again, I guess, our, again, our situations are different. You live in Milwaukee, which is, yeah, what, about half a million people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Toronto's, I don't know, I think we're bigger than Chicago. Oh, but wow. even it is. It's like uh, we're basically Chicago tilted, forty-five degrees, sort of. <laughs> but even then, it's a small community. But it, and it, the it is maybe a little bit more progressive than say some other jurisdictions. When you get into say, you know, small town Canada, it's surprisingly similar to small town U.S. It may look a little different, but the vibe underneath the uh, under, underneath the surface is pretty much the same. Small yeah. town is still small town, so you got it. Yep, I could see that. It's it's very much like that here in Wisconsin. Small town Wisconsin is tends to be quite a bit different than Milwaukee. Mm. So yeah, it's it's sort of again, it's it, we're kind of blessed being in a major metropolitan area. So again, a more diversified community is welcome. So when you get into smaller places, it's like it gets a lot trickier, mm-hmm. which is a shame, really. Uh, 
and again, I'm just sort of wrapping my brain around this because again, I'm basically a middle-aged straight white guy with way too many cameras upstairs. And probably when they find my <laughs> dead body, they're going to look at it like, holy shit, he's got that much. <laughs> but it's like with that viewpoint where I'm standing from, it's like, listen here going, okay, I, you know, I'm technically viewed as part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. And it's sort of trying to figure out, well, where do I go from here? And not just on Instagram, but other parts of the community. Cause again, that's just one part of our little outpost in our digital lives. And I kind of think just like echoing kind of like what Daniel was saying earlier, just being kind of like inclusive mm-hmm. and then just like, even in like the meetups, just being like open. Like I've never had a, a problem going to the, the film shooter meetups in Toronto, just cause like, I know you guys and I've, I've always felt very welcome, but like you said, you know, bigger metropolitan area, it's a little bit, a little bit different than like a smaller town. So yeah. But. Like say, Oh, I don't know. Fredericton, New Brunswick. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think, uh, John here, maybe I'll, I'll jump in for a second again. Cause you know, I'm, uh, I'm late cycle baby boober. So I'm even older and I'm straight white as well. So I'm, you know, in, uh, in, in that specific camp, like Bill, I think the really important thing is, you know, in addition to what we say to women in our community, it's also what we say to other men and, Perhaps behavior Mm. and things that, uh, that other men say that perhaps we're either, you know, it's a joke we're laughing at that we shouldn't be laughing at or tolerating some kind of speech or behavior. And I think how we react to that and to the men who do that is just as important as what we say to, uh, to women in the community. Oh, exactly. Uh, A great point. I know it's a tough one and it's sort of like, uh, and again, it's like at some point at the other end, there will be photography meetups again uh, when we've achieved 70% uh, vaccination rate, hopefully fingers crossed. And again, I'd like to see, you know, a good cross section at a meetup because ultimately that's where the rubber meets the road with Mm -hmm. the community. It's meeting up with other people, sharing ideas. Yes. Showing off the toys. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Who are we kidding? That's half the fun, isn't it? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here's a new toy. It's shiny. Mm-hmm. Of course. And who knows? Maybe Danielle will find herself a minty black Canon F1. Oh, that would be a bucks. dream. <laughs> <laughs> Probably from a little old lady. This is my husband's old camera. He's gone now. Do you want it? <laughs> no, you don't need to pay me anything for it. Here, just, just take it. It's fine. <laughs> I like actually M6 isn't worth nothing, you know, it has no meter. So here it is for 10 bucks. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I, no meter. I just have it for free. It's fine. <laughs> I scour um, our Craigslist and Facebook marketplace on a daily basis. And I think similar to what Bill said quite a bit earlier, I, it's starting to dry up in the area too here, but <laughs> I'm still hoping that I'll, I'll score another huge deal like a Canon F1, perhaps I, um, something that I, I feel very pained about was I missed one day checking Craigslist and I went on there and I saw somebody had a Hasselblad listed and it oh, said no. Hasselblad oh. listed for free. And the description said, found this old camera in my dad's basement giving away for free. 
Oh my goodness. And I I saw this post and I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And it was already a day old. And I thought, and I know there's a number of, you know, shooters in the area that also look for deals too. And I, I emailed the person like, as fast as lightning. I was like, I have to see if this is still available and nope, somebody else got it. And I just, I can't believe that somebody got so lucky to get a free Hasselblad. I just, I, I don't know what, what like fairy godmother you have that blessed you. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Like I'm happy for the person that got the free camera, but I, at the same time that hurts my heart a little bit. (laughs) It's like, Oh, like I, I, I'm not even that into Hasselblads, but if there's a free one, heck there's one for like, for like four hundred, five hundred dollars, I I probably still consider it. But at the same time, it's like free. Wow, right? Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't mm. believe that. <laughs> Never miss a day again, <laughs> right? Yeah, always be checking those those classifieds because you just never know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I learned my lesson. So I guess uh, it's sort of switching the conversation back to camera collecting. Is there any sort of Grail cameras you're looking for? Um. You know, uh, not, not so much. I do feel pretty content with the setup um, I have. Um, The one thing I will say that I think would be nice to have. um, I recently, this past summer, I got a Bronica ETR and I really have just fallen in love with it. And I, um, it's become one of my go-to cameras that I use on a daily basis. The one thing though about it, you know, it's shoots six, by 4.5 and I I love that format to a degree I love that I can get a couple extra frames on a roll but I really do love shooting square um and I still have my TLRs for that but there's just something about a medium format SLR that I really love a lot better <laughs> than a <laughs> TLR um so I someday maybe a 6 by 6 medium format SLR <laughs> would be nice oh i know bronica made them with the sqa mm-hmm. or you could hunt for a hasselblad uh i had my brief flirtation with hasselblad before i traded it uh with another guy for his um 3.5 f planar rolly flex and now i have two of them the rolly flex is really nice though <laughs> oh yeah. so much lighter so much lighter and with rollinars you can get close-ups uh but that's, you know, you could, it, it really kind of depends where you want to go, Danielle. If you love the SLR system, uh, Mamiya's RB67 is Jess Hobbs' weapon of choice. Mm-hmm. And granted, um, beast of a camera, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. I just I'd sit there going, are you into CrossFit at all? <laughs> <laughs> I actually got so lucky. My local camera store that I go to for all my developing, they had, Oh, I can't remember. It was either an RB or an RZ67 on commission. And they asked me if I wanted to look at it. And I just, I told them straight out that I I was not in the market to buy, but they were like, Oh, just, just look at it. Just say that, you know, that you you were (laughs) lucky. Right. (laughs) I, I, I held my ground though, but I did look at it and they let me hold it. 
And oh, that's how they hurt. That's how they reel you in, Danielle. Come on. Which kidney shall I give up? <laughs> right. <laughs> I stayed strong though, but I have always, I've heard about how heavy they are, but it, it still did not prepare me for when I picked it up in that store. And I thought, Holy Jesus, like, I don't know how I would walk around for hours <laughs> shooting on that thing. They are so heavy. That's when yeah, you get like Jess, the trolley and you just bring it back with you. <laughs> well, Jess does that all the time. She has in her backpack, which, you know, she's in decent shape. And I don't think she's that tall either. Yeah. I think the back Small but mighty, Bill. Small but mighty. Small, oh, yeah. Very <laughs> mighty. Uh, again, it's like, uh, I think that's bad. Uh, my friend James, uh, who's on the Classic Camera Revival, has a Fuji GX680. That makes the RB67 look light. Oh man, I don't think I've ever seen what one of those look like. Picture an RB67 on steroids. With it, yeah, with uh, Isn't an RB already on steroids? <laughs> oh, it's even more so. On more steroids. <laughs> but it's like, it, it's a studio camera in reality. Or it's a landscape camera if you have like a decent tripod and you've got backpack dedicated for it. And you go out, you don't handhold it. It's yeah. a shame because like most of the cameras I shoot, it's like I had to be able to at least like have it comfortably in my hand that I can just walk around for like a block or so, or I guess the backpack. So yeah, so, uh, again, it sort of comes down to uh, pick what works best for you. Don't listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> or Speaking our, of our, which, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so yeah, probably our Hasselblad or uh, a Bronica SQA. Yeah, I, I've I've been thinking of those Bronica SQs. Um, they man. take nick or glass. Yeah, and that's the little bit of the drawback for me because I really wish that I could use my ETR lenses on them. Mm. That'd be so nice if I could just buy an SQ body and <laughs> I could just already use the the Bronica lenses I have. But I know that's not that's not the case. So you know, whatever system I ended up end up deciding to go with, if I decide to make the jump, I'll just have to do the full investment of the body and the lenses. Choose three, three lenses. Just go look wide. Your regular a telephoto. You're set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and don't overthink it because it, it, you have to sort of look at it going, okay, am I going to do a lot of macro work? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, then don't get a macro lens. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Am I going to do a, a, a ton of architecture? Well, maybe a wide lens might be in order. Or you can just like, get, if you do a lot of portraits, yes, you're going to want a, tele, a, a portrait lens, mm-hmm. like around 150 millimeters. And, you're, and you can do that all day, every day. Uh, but if it's like, it just comes down to, well, I could probably just get away with the normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then just run with the 70. I think it's a 75 in the Bronica system. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, so I just run with the 75 and, uh, you know, and just go to town. And it'd be a just lot lighter, too. Because it really I wouldn't think... be that much heavier than a probably a fully loaded Canon F1 with a motor drive. I can't imagine. I, I mean, you know, the Bronica ETR I have is... is uh, a lot lighter than I would, would expect, you know, a medium format camera to be, I can, I can walk around with my Bronica, no problem for hours. So I'm I'm sure like an SQA would, would be about the same. Mm. 
So are you going to get into sort of publishing any zines down the road or have you have any, anything out there right now? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't have anything out there right now. Um, I have had people tell me before I should, I should either sell prints or zines. And um, I think the, really the biggest thing that holds me back is I have absolutely no idea where to start with either of those. <laughs> I, I don't well, know. How to- I, I just sort of have the voice of James Lee, the, the, the co-host who's not here. And just sort of screaming, print your work. <laughs> Even if it's not for sale, but it's kind of mm-hmm. like, like I do small runs of zines and they wind up being gifts for friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's a, yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be you know, just 28 pages. Just got to fill 28 pages mm-hmm. of a certain theme. Like it's, it's not as hard as you think it is. I said, you're making it sound really easy right now, Bill. 28 pages. 28 pages. That's it. That's all you got to do. You can photo per page. Boom. Done. You need to sort of come up with a flow, come up with a theme. Mm-hmm. And it almost puts itself together. And I make it sound so easy, but <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, this massive book that I'm working on, I'm sort of stuck on page 50. And I'm like, okay, what next? Okay. So you got past page 28. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a big photo book. How how big are you aiming for it to be? 150 pages. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> it's a collimation. I've, I I do an annual photography retreat with friends. Uh there's a provincial park about almost three hours north of Toronto called the Gonquin Provincial Park. And we sort of been going in and around this area for a better part. I think this was the first year we didn't go because of the pandemic. And I've been sort of putting together, you know, photos from the trip up, stuff while in the area, and then sort of the trip back. And I'm sort of to the point, I'm about, I'm up there right now, but it's just sort of piecing the puzzle together with flow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, 150 pages. Algonquin is huge. Well, it's so. not just Algonquin. We're, we spent more time outside of Algonquin Park than in, like, uh there's a nature preserve that we've found that we like even more because it's just not busy compared to Algonquin park. Not bad. I haven't been to Algonquin too much. Uh, I think the last time I went to a provincial park, it was Grundy Lake. So instead of going three hours North, I'm going like, or I guess North East. I'm going like kind of Northwest, like one or two hours to like Sudbury ish area. Okay. The last time I went, so like kind of French river area. Okay. Um, so, for Danielle's for Danielle's reference, it's just kind of like the same level as Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Oh, okay. Just to give you a, a ballpark geography. Mm-hmm. And it's just utterly stunning up there. <laughs> I bet. So, are you? Have you got any projects that you're thinking of putting together in the coming year? Um, like printing projects or shooting projects. Shooting, printing, either or. Community building. <laughs> All um, the above or something. Like we 2021, have. new year, new project. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I have a couple of projects um, in the works right now in terms of my um, my mission of helping increase female representation in the film community. Um, I, I don't think I'm quite ready to uh, announce what those projects are, but I do have a few things in the work with um, a couple other people. Um, so I'm excited to keep working on that. Um, in terms of shooting, I, 
Um, most recently this past like summer and fall, I, I kind of made it a big mission to go around to a bunch of our state parks in the area, um, and photograph a bunch of those. So I, I'm kind of looking forward to changing it up a little bit. I feel like I've done a lot of nature photography in the last couple months. I'd like to do some more urban work, but Milwaukee is often referred to as a city of neighborhoods. And that's uh, very accurate. We're, um, kind of just a big conglomeration of a bunch of unique little neighborhoods that all have a very different style um, and character in terms of um, their architecture. So I I think it would be a lot of fun to do some more urban work um, in the new year. Um, And I also would like to, as I think I mentioned earlier, I'd like to do more experimentation with film stocks. I've kind of been a diehard Kodak girl, but I would like to do some more work with some Loma Chromes, Loma Chrome Purple, Metropolis. I've never shot them before, so I'd like to do that. Um, and I'd like to get into some more black and white work. I've been um, shooting a bit more black and white this um, late fall and start of winter, and I'd like to continue doing that as well. Are you just getting your black and white work processed? Yeah, I actually... Um, I tried really hard to develop my own film for a couple months at the beginning of the pandemic. I tried to develop my own color and own black and white, and I absolutely hated it. (laughs) I'm not one who can develop film and find it enjoying. So I, I decided that I'd rather go back to supporting my local lab and help a small business stay open. So I give them my color and black and white, and then I scan myself. Um, okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I know yes. that when I first started developing my own film, I think I, I think you might have heard the story before because like we were talking about this in like one of Merlin's chats. Um, I was developing a bunch of color film for like my buddy, and at one point I was like mixing the blicks, and I was like doing like the the rotations, and then my Parson tank just exploded on me. <sighs> and yes. I live in a small Ooh. condo, so it was just like blicks was like all over my kitchen counter. I'm just like this is not good at all yes (laughs) I've had basically the exact same thing happen and the the big thing for me is that I just oh gosh I think I developed somewhere in the ballpark of like 25 rolls of color um I think somewhere in the round of like 10 to 12 rolls of black and white and I I just couldn't get to the point where I was getting consistent result roll from roll, you know, each roll would turn out just a little bit different from each other. And that just kind of drives me a little bit crazy. I want my roles to be completely consistent. Um, I guess maybe I'm a little too much of a perfectionist, but um, I just, you know, if it, if it alleviates my anxiety a little bit to take it to the lab, support them. And I, then I get perfect roles each time and I don't have to worry about that aspect. <laughs> hey, whatever works for you. Cause I find yeah. black, I, I, I process black and white at home. I am blessed to have my local camera store does a decent C41 lab <clears throat> and they're pretty cheap. So I sort of get them to process my C41 like you, I scan at home. For me, black and white processing is kind of almost like a, it's like a Zen exercise. And I've been, I, and again, you just started doing it. And I, it's funny, I, 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 I've been processing at home 15 years. Even then, I screw up on occasion, like once putting the fix in first. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's happened. And that actually happened a few months ago. Moral of the story, don't do it when you're sleep deprived. <laughs> Fun fact for the studio audience, just don't do it. Don't process film when you're sleep deprived. 
but generally, I'm I, always been deprived. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I've gotten much to a point that my results are consistent with each with each film stock that I process. But again, it's taken. It, it, there's a learning curve, mm-hmm. and you know maybe you might you might want to revisit it someday. I don't know. Like maybe for just now, like. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe to take like a bit of a break away from it and then come back to it later. Um, I was developing a lot of black and white film, probably for about not not as long as as Bill was, but I think I did it for like maybe two or three years fairly consistently. And between black and white and color, I found that the color was like never consistent whenever I developed it. But mm-hmm. my black and white got to a point where it was like it was kind of okay. I think it's like a temperature thing for me though, because mm-hmm. I'm. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of loosey goosey when it comes to temperature. It's like ah, it's off by a couple degrees. Eh, it'll be fine, which is never the case with color film. But my biggest issue for me for developing the film um, was partially temperature and also that I don't have a scanner. So for me, I used to have like all this like black and white film that was developed, and then I put them into like the like archival like sleeves and it's like in a binder. But then like unless I'm bringing that like. The, the film strip to like my computer screen so I could like see it like for me because I don't have a scanner it's like well this is a little silly which is one of the reasons why I kind of went back to going to my local shop and just mm-hmm. asking them to develop it for me that way at least it's scanned and I could see it and I could reminisce about what I could have done differently <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah I could I could see myself maybe um going back to do black and white developing I've I, it's it's something that I have that like a little bit of a thought almost every week I will say where I you know if I'll shoot a roll I'll think of black and white specifically oh it's like do I really want to drive all the way out to the lab I mean granted it's only 15 minutes away but um and I still have a little thought in the back of my head of well maybe I should just try some more black and white developing so maybe maybe I'll get back to that point but I feel I feel very happy to never do C41 again (laughs) yeah C41 is like a (laughs) Uh, I, I just said that hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because C41, I'm kind of sitting here going, I, I, sh- I just don't shoot quite enough color a C41 to make it economically feasible. Mm-hmm. And Cause again, it's like, I got my local lab who does it for cheap. It's like, well, why would I want to? Mm-hmm. My brother's getting into C41 processing. I, I have one of those lovely sin still chemical heaters in the mail somewhere. That was supposed to be in my hands for Christmas Day, but that didn't happen. <laughs> it's it's out there on it's out there on the streets right now, Bill. It's okay. It'll, no, it'll it's, in, it's in Canada Post Hell. <laughs> <laughs> so you you kind of know where it is vaguely. It's just not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> but not, like, he wants to try that, and again, it's like uh, I've had friends who do process color say, "Oh yeah, it's easier than black and white." For me, though, it's getting the color temperature, the temperature just right. Yeah. The temperature, I think, is like kind of the big one for me. That mm -hmm. was like my biggest issue. I think I did like three or four rolls in in a row for like my one buddy that went to like Alaska. And of those like four rolls I did, one of them was just like a little bit off. And it's because like my, I think my temperature had dropped by like 5%, like five degrees. And I didn't notice it. Like he's still like scanning, he was able to fix it in post, but that's like a lot of photos to fix in post. So oh. that's what Lightroom is for. <laughs> I, I did it for him for free, so I figured it was a very small price to, for him to pay. To, but still, it was just 
oh, annoying. Well. So such is life. Anyway, I think we should probably uh, call it uh, call it an episode. Where can we find you, Danielle, when you're not on Instagram? When I'm not on Instagram? Yeah. Do you have um, any other places where we can find your work or? Um, not yet. Instagram is kind of my my main place that I share my work. I'm not really on Flickr or YouTube or, or any other um, areas. But, you know, if that changes, I'll definitely uh, let you guys know. Fair enough. And um, is, there, is there a question that we haven't covered? Um, not that I can think of. I think you guys, you know, you've done a great job. I've really enjoyed chatting with you tonight. Oh, great. I'm glad you had, uh, you could come on uh, to the Classic Camera Revival. So, uh, it's Bill Smith. And until next time, stay cool and shoot tons of film, as Mike Garman would say. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Chris? Chrissy? Want to do a sign off? Yeah. I'm awake. This is what happens when there's no video. Uh, this is... <laughs> no visual cues. <laughs> there's no video cues. I need like a visual prompt. No. Um, <laughs> uh, this is Chris signing off. I guess uh, see you later, guys, gals, and non binary pals. This is John from behind the recording desk. Remember, diversity gives us strength in our community. Beautifully said. Nicely done. <laughs>